recording. Yes. Now, uh, let's just start off with I'm interviewing Emeritus Professor Adrian Horridge, who has a particular interest in bees, but in a huge range of other things. But today I just want to focus on the bee part of the story. Now, Adrian, what is it that got you interested in bees? It was a logical final interest in a long series of uh, works, experiments and students and activities in recording from nervous systems. And uh, in 1960, I came back from America having spent two years writing a book with an American professor. And I discovered that I had a, a laboratory space and I could get grants. This was in 1950, no, 1960, uh, and I could get funding for students. And so I decided that I would work on the compound eye of arthropods, of crabs, lobsters, insects, uh, and uh, similar creatures that uh, have an eye that is has many facets and uh, is made up of many little units and they have complex behavior and a relatively simple brain and my skills at that time I was an electrophysiologist and I could um, teach students how to record from single nerve cells and put dye into the cells and then section it and identify the nerve cells and look at the circuitry and uh, and I decided that compound eye of in insects would have so many facets of interest the optics the behavior the visual behavior the uh, the uh, catching of the light the organization of the optic system in behind just behind the eye and then the the the, the behavior that one got out of the eye of, of, of the insect it seemed to me exactly the right kind of system that one could break open and look at it from many points of view and uh, it would satisfy uh, 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 also be quite useful if suppose we could ever make a system of vision that would mimic or copy or take out the circuitry and uh, and use it to uh, make it all in, in silicon and so it seemed a, a good idea and so I, I started work um, with locusts actually in those days in 1963 we started publishing on locusts and uh, I had uh, altogether 50 PhD students, uh, about a dozen of which became fellows of the Royal Society, uh, two of them fellows of the Royal Society of Sweden and another one Royal Society of Canberra. Uh, so I, I, I taught students this particular topic and they went away and, and did it themselves and uh, we found out an enormous amount of stuff. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of publications came out of the compound eye of insects and uh, from 1960 and, uh, and I'm still publishing 
uh, in 19, in 2021. And some of my students also still publishing and some of them have retired. <laughs> now, Adrian, someone described to me that looking through or vision of a bee would be like looking through a bundle of straws. Now that strikes me as both a good analogy. Oh, it's complete. That's, that and, is a very. Uh, well, it also strikes me as being a poor one because it's easy to anthropomorphize no, 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 vision. A bee flies about and it behaves as if it ha sees things, uh, measures them, uh, learns them, and then comes back and recognizes them. Uh, it, it behaves and it does. In fact, it does those things, but in an entirely different way from from what we do. Uh, a bee, uh, like us, it has three different kinds of receptors for different colors, for, 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 for green, blue, and ultraviolet. Uh, the ultraviolet is not connected to memory. The ultraviolet receptors are used for looking at the sky, uh, which has a map of the polarization pattern of the blue of the ultraviolet in the sky and the bees use that map as a as a direction finding map so they always have a compass up there in the sky uh, but that's the ultraviolet the the, the 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 vision of the bee is entirely done by a green light uh, and with green light they only see edges and they only see motion. If you uh, if you clamp a bee, uh, it cannot see anything with its green receptor system, which is the motion perception system. That fades away because it is um, what's called uh, phasic, uh, short-lived. Uh, the only persistent vision that the bee has is with the blue receptors and. Uh, the bee does not see colors it colors it sees the amount of blue in everything else and for example yellow contains about 10% of blue and green as you know contains 50% of blue because it's blue and yellow and uh, and uh, white contains about 60% uh, or 70% of blue so this means they don't have color reception perception no, in, in the way as that we do. They see edges with the green receptors, and they see areas of color measuring the total amount of blue relative to the background of green. So yes. it's such they, a the bee measures the color of things by looking at the amount of blue relative to background. So it is such a limited part of the spectrum. Why why is it so narrow? Well, if you look at the amount of blue relative to background and you're working out there in the green among foliage, then you're perfectly happy because every flower has a different color because they'd have a different amount of blue relative to the amount of to the green in the foliage. So the bee has a perception of color without having color vision because it can measure the amount, the fraction of blue relative to background. So, uh, so such as new is a completely different but perfectly acceptable system. So a, a naive view of a flower is that they are beautiful colours which we see, the, the spectrum of colours that we humans well, see. Is that, see yellow, is, that, is that biased? The bee sees black because there is virtually no blue in yellow. 
so the bee sees blue, sees black. Where you see yellow, the bee sees, but your bee, your bee does not see black because black is not a stimulus. There's no there's no light in black. How do you see black? It's there the is absence, no light in black. There is no light. stimulus coming from a black surface, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you see it because you hallucinate. Your color vision is entirely hallucinated. What is white? White is a mixture of all the other colors. But you don't see, you look at white and you see white, but you don't see white, you hallucinate white. So it's a complex problem for Very a bee complex. to get from a hive to a source of yeah, food. Yeah, but it's how the human system that's complicated, not the bee. Okay, well, how do they do it? They, I told you, they see the amount of blue relative to the green background. But, but they've got to find their way across the terrain with, with all the variabilities of that terrain, oh, and they somehow they the couldn't travel... To, they don't use the colour to, to cross the terrain. They, sure, but, but a beehive might be a kilometre, maybe two kilometres from the food source. How do they get that far and back again? Well, they learn what landmarks look like. They know from particular places in their foraging, they always go to the same place anyway. So they very quickly know which direction to go to go back home. And they learn uh, a number of landmarks. And it's easy to demonstrate this because you can take a field and put a beehive in it and put a few landmarks to, to some sugar or sugar solution. And the bees will learn to go to the sugar solution. And then you can shift the landmarks and show that the bees go in a different direction they're using the landmarks if if they're in an open field how do they cope with the variable parts here so there might be a strong wind or a oh, landmark wind might is very move useful for bees. they know the odor of every place every place where they forage they know the odor because it's a mixture of, of stuff that there is at that place so a bee all has to do is to fly out of the hive and cut across the wind until it picks up the odour that it's looking for and then turn up wind and it'll be there. And what about so returning simple. to the hive? I've heard that if a hive is moved, they have trouble locating it again. Oh, if the hives move, they fly back to where it was and they don't recognise the, the hive at all. They don't, they, the hive can be moved for just one metre and they won't know where the entrance is. They can't find the hive because they can't recognise it. Okay. They have there no need to recognise it. They've got a landmark somewhere nearby, and they they know that landmark. They don't bother about that. They they know where the hive is. So the whole system is designed to measure to to remember place. They don't see things. They don't categorise things. They they don't uh, uh, isolate objects uh, from background. They only see. Uh, so they have no need for the complex processing of a human mind no, no, where they, they say... they don't categorise, they don't recognise objects, they don't ever need to see objects. A bee can fly around, it doesn't see the things, it sees the motion of the edges. And it has a range mechanism, it has a mechanism for measuring the range, because it's relatively moving relative to the bees and just as we do you can measure the range by just moving your head so how do they get a sense of distance is it just they by just an amount of time they've been travelling a bee scans all the time like this as it flies 
and it, they're just moving their head from side to side and that is quite enough you put something hold something up and move your head of course you know how far away it is because you see how far it moves so That's it's, the, it's the rate of stimulus of they the other uh, things they that they pass. They don't see the thing yeah. at all. They don't distinguish between things at all. So they just see edges. What what did you use for evidence in your research? How did you learn about these things? You you train bees to uh, to recognise uh, the difference between two targets. And then you um, uh, test them with a variety of other targets to see what they've learned. Did you put them in tunnels or use objects in a lab? How did you set that up? Well, I could show you. I've got the tunnel if you'd go and let me go and get it. Oh, so you, you had a tunnel? Yes, I have a tunnel. Oh, just, just describe it for me. It's called a Y maze. It's a, a box that opens up into into two. Uh, it gives the bee an option. It flies into the box, and it's got an option to go left or right into a, one box or another box. And uh, it, you put a pat, you put a target in each of the uh, uh, choice boxes, and it, the bee comes in the entrance, and it sees that two choices in front of it. And it has to choose to go to right or left. And every five minutes you switch them over so that the bee has to look at the pattern. It can't remember which side to go. So it's simple pattern recognition. I use, uh, I use, I use um, features. I, 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 the bee has feature detectors. Uh, the bee detects vertical edges and distinguishes vertical edges from sloping edges but if you put two edges crossing at right angles of equal length they cancel out and the bee sees no orientation at all it just sees the fact that there's something there but if you have a lot of parallel line uh, edges then it'll like a bunch of grass then the bee can in fact recognize the angle of those edges all parallel, uh, but it won't see them as separate. It'll simply see them as a total. Okay. Now, tell me about this so-called bee dance. Well, as I told you, the bee the bee dance was discovered by Aristotle, who thought it was a a calling cry that the bee had gone back to the hive uh, and uh, got all excited, and 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 the and its mates followed it to where the food was. That was Aristotle's description of the bee dance. He described the dance quite well. Did Aristotle know what the bee was doing or why it was doing the so-called yes, yes, dance? Yes, he knew that the bee had come in with food and that it had, uh, was dancing to attract its mates and, tell, and they took them back where the food was. Now, there's a much more recent researcher, is it Yvonne Frisch, I believe, who won well, the Nobel Yvonne Prize? Yvonne Frisch discovered that the, the dance was related to the polarisation pattern of the sky and uh, the bees danced in a certain direction and uh, which indicated the direction of the of the uh, food uh, at least that was if it was far away when the when the food is more than about 50 yards away the, it, the, the dance is like a figure of eight and it be von Frisch <coughs> said that they 
the line that divides the eight into two circles, the line across the center, is the direction that the bees were supposed to go. What do the other bees do once they see, or do they see no, the they don't see. Of course the bees don't see, because it's done in the darkness of the hive. So there what is the, none inside so the hive. So does the dance achieve no, anything? It's entirely done by picking up the vibration from the, the, the comb. The bee dances on the honeycomb, and it dances in a direction relative to the vertical, on the vertical honeycomb, and they pass, uh, the, the, the other bees around it pick up the direction from the vibration pattern through their legs. Ah, uh, so that's another example of human biases. We tend to think of things in visual terms, whereas bee, oh, uh, yeah. a the bee bees, operates on vibrations. It's done in the darkness of the hive. The bees don't see the dance. And do we have evidence of how the bees respond to the dance? Yes, they pick up the vibration. And, and uh, there's a, a lot of research done with an artificial vibration, like a shaving machine, where you just go and you, you point this in the, in the, in the hive, and, 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 and the bees will uh, be attracted to the vibration. And but do they change their flight behavior as a result? They've even made an artificial bee vibrates, and they can turn it in different directions, and, they can, and then they can control the direction in which the workers are, go out, yes. But, but the bees these uh, fly, uh, is their direction of their flight from the hive influenced by the dance? No, they quite often just smell the dancer and they realise that it's been on, on, on some particular flower or, or it's gone to been in a, uh, a collecting pollen off a, a, a bottle tree or something and, uh, and they pick up the smell and they realise the, what, what, to, what to look for because of the, the odour or the food that the bees brought in. They sniff it and they fly out of the hive and fly across wind until they pick up the odour they're looking for and they, get on, they go upwind until they get there. They don't actually need to have the direction because they can. They mostly operate by the odor. In fact, if you take some odor of one of their foods that they're collecting and pump the odor into the hive, a whole lot of bees will come out and fly to the right place. So we now are talking about the European honeybee, right? How much of this do you think translates to other insects? Oh, maybe, maybe nothing, I think. There, I think there's some other bees that are colonial that it might might be, uh, but the odor story, of course, is common to all a, a lot of in, uh, all, all ants, for example. They they smell the, what the other ants are bringing in, and that tells them where to go. But the ants don't fly; they they just put a, a, an odor trail along the ground, and they 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 they, they, they pick it up as they walk along. What's the, the main thing that you've learned from having done this work? Oh, what a lot of fascinating animals and things there are and how the circuitry and the behaviour is so marvellous. Do you find it amazing that a bee can do this with such a tiny brain? No, not a bit, because I understand pretty well how it, how it does it. Uh, you know, I understand the sense organs and I understand how it turns in flight and, uh, and with how it picks up motion and, uh, and stabilizes itself in flight and uh, how it measures its speed over the ground and, uh, and all these things. I, I, I know how it's done. 
Have there been attempts to we replicate this? Uh, over the many, many years, when many students looking at the different aspects, uh, as I said, I had many students, and there were many of them extremely bright uh, and successful. And, uh, and so between us, we've um, revolutionized the whole story. It's all in my book, actually. Have there been attempts to replicate this in an artificial system? Yes, indeed, yes. Uh, it's a, a fascinating uh, up, upset, I think it would, might call it an upset. Uh, we found out how bees measure range, and we found out that they uh, pick up edges and determine from the motion of the edges they to determine the range that far how far away they are because the motion is caused by the bee moving itself from side to side and as it moves itself from side to side it it it, it um, induces motion in the things around it and if you if something's far away it doesn't appear to move very much things the over there don't appear to move much when i move my head but you, this thing here moves a lot when i move my head so you can measure the range by the amount of movement when you move your head, and that's how bees measure range. We realized this was a very simple gadget, so we could make such things and uh, a simple motion detector system and measure the speed of motion, and um, we could make uh, aids for the visually impaired people, and, and, uh, and they could um, have an eye on finger, we we had a thimble with a fly's eye on the on the thimble, an artificial fly's eye, and as you moved your hand, <coughs> it induced a motion in things around, and that motion was picked up uh, by the by the eye, and uh, we had a little simple circuitry that, that converted that into range, and uh, you had here on the wrist a a, a, a little pad. Uh, with, with, with little pressure stuff and if it was uh, to the left side of the ridge it was something on the left and if it was the right side of the it would be on the right and if it was further up your arm it would be further away so the, we had a little touch a braille, this is a braille machine I'm talking about for the blind uh, on the wrist uh, reading the braille and this would tell the, uh, the the person we made these things We had a, I had a grant from the department of of, of, of of science uh, and an industry uh, and we had uh, several people making these things and, uh, and we did this and uh, then what happened oh yes yes um, Chernobyl blew up in 1987 the Russian atomic power station nuclear power station uh, and it blew up and the Russians sent in men I think 20 of them or so died as a result of being sent in to try to clear up, stop the thing from boiling over and fuming and sending out radioactive stuff. So they, they sent in men who had wearing lead, of course, but I think they all died, uh, not immediately. Um, and um, so in 1987, after that, the Japanese had 50 nuclear power stations in Japan at that time. They mostly gave them up later because they were so frightened by Chernobyl. Uh, and uh, they 
didn't know what to do because they had the power state. They're on a on a an earthquake belt. Japan is is a shaky country. It's shaking much of the time, and so they were really got really scared, and uh, and so they sent spies, engineers around around everywhere, America and and Europe, and 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 some came to to Canberra. They they must have gone to the vice chancellor's office or somewhere and they and he said oh there's a guy down in biological sciences working on bees and who's working on a a gadget for blind people to uh, maneuver around in in the dark or in when without sight uh maybe that's of interest so these came along and i was away and my i'd left a guy in charge who worked on chicken vision um, and uh, he knew nothing about this our system, and I'd have told my my chaps not to not to say anything while I was away about what we were working on, and uh, because I knew it could be patented. And uh, so anyway, he he showed them our system. It was a box, and it had some circuitry in it, and uh, it had a camera on the a camera uh, a digital camera on the. Uh, on the side and on the back of the box was an oscilloscope monitor uh, and if you put the box down and left it stationary uh, there'd be a black and white picture of what the lens was looking at but if you moved it just a slight bit then it jumped into colour and colour coded the, the range oh. we put a simple circuitry which did this it, it, this is called peering. Ah, I suppose that's related to why pigeons bob their head while they walk, is it? Yes, indeed it is. Yes, birds, many birds do this. Yes. Yes. Why? Why are they doing it? They're measuring the range of things around them. Ah. And bees fly like this, always. Ah, so they're using parallax. They're using parallax. Well, it's uh, yes, a form of parallax. It's yeah. motion parallax. They don't see position very well, but they see motion very well. So they use motion parallax. Okay. Now, a bee and a human are vastly different creatures. But have you any thoughts about whether your research into bee sensing uh, tells us anything about human perception? No, nothing about human perception. Human perception totally different. As I say, you you. Everything you're seeing, you are hallucinating it. You're not actually seeing it online. Look, I can show you how. You put your hand out like that as far as you can reach and look at the size of your hand. Yes. Now move it halfway, looking at it while you're doing it. Does it change to double the size? Does it? So you're not just using the visual cue? No, you're not online. You move your hand forward and backward like that, it stays the that's same size. Your pro- that's your it stays the same size. It should be twice as big, four times the area. You take a photograph of it and it'll look very different. It'll come looming in the camera. Oh. You're not online at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's Don't a, you understand? You, you are not looking at me. Uh, I, you are hallucinating <laughs> me. And there is no homunculus in my head that's taking, watching all this on a screen. Absolutely. Yes, it's, it's an yeah. immensely yeah, subtle, yeah, no, you subtle thing. You haven't got a homunculus. No, there is no homunculus. <laughs> no. 
there's a mishmash of neurons well, going I, in all directions. I, I hope I'm not entirely delusional so I can get home safely. You are entirely delusional, <laughs> yes, that's right. But nonetheless, I will manage to make it home after a fascinating conversation, Adrian. Well, what I'm telling you is true. You hold your hand out like that and move it halfway towards your eyes, and it stays the same. If you watch it, it stays the same size. It is a it is a fascinating thing, and I I am. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> the truth. <laughs> I I believe you. I believe you. And, and but most people have no idea. No idea. I've done a lot of research into this, and I, I find it fascinating. And also, thank you very much for a very interesting conversation. All right, that's your half hour. I, I feel there's a huge amount more that we could talk about. We of barely touched the, yes, the sides. I mean, I'm, I'm full of stories. I'm full of stories. All right, well, thank you very much, Adrian. <laughs> All right.